There comes a point in every man's life when he realizes that he's not going to be Joan Namath. Sixteen years ago, that was my father's way of telling me that my dreams of being a professional golfer had no chance of coming true. I understood exactly what my dad was telling me, but he went ahead and broke it down just in case. What I'm trying to say, son, is that not everybody can be the star of the football team, or a movie star, or even a golfer on the PGA Tour. God didn't bless us all with that type of talent, but he gives us other skills, Randy. He's also given you responsibilities. Pulling myself from my reverie, I stood and felt the wind coming off the water hit my face. The Tennessee River Bridge, at its highest, is a good hundred feet from the surface of the water. If a person were to dive in head first, he would die in an instant. His body would wash up on the shore or be dug out by a boat dragging the river. But the person's spirit would be gone quicker than the ripples. My spirit died in 1970. I was 24 years old. My golf game had sent me to the University of Alabama on a scholarship, and I had been good enough to make all SEC. I had played the mini-tours for a year and felt like I was close to breaking through. Just a few more putts going in. One less penalty shot. Keeping my mind focused. I was so close. Then Mary Alice got pregnant, my game went to pot, and my dad told me that I couldn't be Joe Namath. And life still had one more sucker punch left to throw. Today is my 40th birthday, so it'll be slightly different than every other day this week. I'll still go into the office, I'll still work nine hours and attempt to bill every second to an insurance company that is paying me to represent its insured in a car wreck case. I'll still have a coffee break around 10.30, and I'm sure I'll shoot the bull with Steve Ledyard. Steve's a big Auburn fan, so we'll probably rehash Alabama's victory over the Tigers in the prior year's Iron Bowl again and debate for the hundredth time whether Bo Jackson should play baseball or football. But around 2.30, the people in our department will gather in the small firm kitchen while my secretary, Debbie Seal, cuts the cake she bought at Kroger on the way to work. It'll taste okay, and they will all make jokes about the big 4-0. And then, at about the seven or eight minute mark, everyone will return to their jobs. At around 6.15, I'll walk to the elevator with my briefcase. Then I'll go home, and there will be more cake. This time, Mary Alice's homemade German chocolate, my favorite. Before we eat cake, we'll head down to Boots Steakhouse. Our 16-year-old daughter, Davis, and I will split the prime rib and baked potato, while Mary Alice will have a few bites off our plate and stick to the salad. Then we'll come home, and then we'll probably watch TV while Davis does her homework. After the 10 o'clock news, we'll go to bed. We won't make love. We haven't in years. The next day, my wife will expect me to wake up at 6 a.m., make a pot of coffee, read the newspaper, and give her a kiss on the cheek before heading to the office. She'll expect me to be home for dinner.
But tomorrow, Mary Alice and everyone else is in for a surprise. Tomorrow, I plan to wake an hour early and slip out of the house without a sound. I'll drive to the bridge and stand exactly where I'm standing now. I'll wear my golf clothes, collared shirt with a sweater over it, khaki slacks, and my foot joy spikes. I won't say a prayer, because though I used to go to church on Sundays and even served as an usher for years, I don't believe in God anymore. No, instead I'll repeat the words of my father, Robert Clark, on an early spring day in 1970. There comes a point in every man's life when he realizes that he's not going to be Joe Namath. And then, as the sun begins to rise over the Tennessee River, I'll jump.